You're listening to an IOE podcast. Powered by UCL Minds. Welcome to the podcast Psyched About Education. Uh, this series celebrates the academic excellence of the work carried out at the Department of Psychology and Human Development and the impact this work has on policy and practice. In other words, how can psychology make a difference? I'm Andy Tolmey, Professor Andy Tolmey, Chair of Psychology and Human Development. My research is on learning in science, especially in, in primary schools. I'm your host for today, and with me I have Professor Peter Blatchford, one of the longest standing members of the department, whose work on the effects of class size and the use of teaching assistance has had international impact. In this podcast, we're going to be focusing on the development of psychology within the Institute of Education and Peter's work within that. So, Peter, can you tell me a little bit about your appointment to IOE and what the Institute was like at that time? Yeah, um, well, I first came to the Institute in 1980 and I was appointed to the Thomas Cohen Research Unit. And the head of the Thomas Cohen Research Unit at that time was Barbara Tizard, who took over from Jack Tizard, who sadly died. But Jack Tizard was a pretty significant person in um, psychology within the Institute. So maybe I could just take a few moments just to say a little bit about what I understand is the kind of history of psychology leading up to Jack Tizard in the Institute. And I highly recommend for anyone uh, who is interested in the history of the IOE to look at the, uh, the history of the IOE by Richard Aldrich. Uh, there was a first edition which is on my shelf but I think there's a new edition which has been published which is really good and you can pick up a lot of interesting facts and really quite a fascinating history. So there's some significant figures um, in psychology at the Institute of Education going way back before the Second World War and um, some of the key figures will be Philip Vernon on the psych side and Susan Isaacs on the child development side um, and there's other figures in the psych including Bill Wall and Brian Foss. Uh, Jack Tizard was appointed as the, I think, the first chair of child development in 1964-65. And Jack was very uh, interested in research being applied to practice and policy issues. He was a little bit um, sort of uh, suspicious, not suspicious, but a bit tired of research, which was entirely theory driven and with a very kind of narrow um, sort of point of reference uh, and resonance, he really wanted to focus on. So to cut a long story short, that was very significant in the founding of the Thomas Cole Research Unit, which was an interdisciplinary. So psychology certainly had a role, but it was like a, it was one of many disciplines that were brought to bear on policy issues. So I was there from 1980 to 1989, working with Barbara Tizard and colleagues. And then I, as is the way, well, we had an eight year ESRC grant, um, but um, I left for a short period to work in teacher education and then came back in 1990. Um, to when, and this is one of the features about the IOE and psychology in the IOE is the very turbulent kind of governance of psychology, which uh, went through all sorts of different um, groupings sort of, uh, when I arrived in 1990, there was a grouping called Child Development and Educational Psychology, which split into two other groups, educational psychology and special educational needs. And then child development was linked with um, primary education. I think Kathy Silver was the chair there. Um, but then <laughs> along um, with other developments within the Institute, the 
Epson Educational Psychology and Special Educational Needs Group split into two uh, into the sort of two parts. And it was only really when I think it was Jeff Whitty was the director of the IRE that we had, as it were, a combination of the educational psychology, the psychology and human development, with those sort of three parts represented. And just one further thing to add to that was it was back in 2001 when this happened. I was appointed the head of the department uh, for two years, 2001, 2003, at the time when all of these things were sort of coming together. And it's only in retrospect, I realize how significant historically that was within the history of the you know, psychology within the IOE. And my sense is it's a really good place to be. Can you give us uh, perhaps also an, an overview of the main strands of your subsequent research with, within that context? Yeah, well, at Thomas Coram, I was involved in a study of children's educational progress in infant schools, so children aged five to seven. This was under the direction of Barbara Tizar. And I think actually looking, thinking about it, some of the main themes of the sort of um, features, I should say, of the research that I've done subsequent. So longitudinal study, following children's progress, um, certainly interested in educational kind of outcomes, but as interested in the processes that might account for those outcomes and ways of bringing, as it were, psychology to bear on those, um, those results. So we found, for example, that teacher expectations were very important when it came to understanding children's progress. And uh, that was a kind of a, a whole social psychological literature on that. A feature of that work was the study of what goes on within classrooms in some detail and systematic observation techniques for getting a handle on that which I sort of brought in, that was one of the reasons why I was employed, I think, on that project for my PhD, 73 to 76, um, the use of systematic observation techniques. After I came back to the Institute in 1996, we started a big project on class size differences, a wonderful project in the sense of collaboration with people like Harvey Goldstein, who was the founder of multi-level modeling, statistical modeling uh, at the IOE, very important. Uh, figure, I think. Peter Mortimer, who was the director of the Institute, he had a lot to do. Big um, collaboration between local authorities. Later on, the government um, stepped in to, to fund research. Large scale, multi method. Um, key finding was really that looking at class size in relation to academic attainment, which everyone does, and usually concludes it doesn't really matter on the basis of that finding being very modest is completely missing the point, but you have to understand what people do in classes of different sizes in order to account for that result. I'll maybe come back to that point. We had a lovely <laughs> team of uh, folks. Um, it really was a great team, and I'm still, in a sense, working with most of them, even now, after all these years. We moved on to policy-relevant study of support staff in schools called the Deployment and Impact of Support Staff, DIS for short. And this was funded by the, the government uh, of the time, which was started in uh, 2003 through to the end of the 2000s. This was similarly a large scale study following children's progress in relation to a number of factors, including the amount of support that, that kids had from teaching assistants. Key finding, we found that the relationship between the support children have from teaching assistants and how well they did was a negative one. So the more support you got, the less well they did. That didn't go down terribly well. 
uh, with the government, as you can imagine, given how much money they'd invested in teaching assistants. So we did it all over again, um, and we found the same thing, but even clearer. So this is where understanding the classroom processes at work is important, because we understood why we had that relationship. It's basically the way that the teaching assistants are being used to support the children in most need within mainstream classrooms, which is, in a sense, taking the kids away from the teacher and other children, actually, and to a degree, the curriculum. Um, mm. And so it was a really important um, thing to do the kind of process, the study of the process. Um, briefly, uh, the next big project um, I was direct directing or co-directing in this case was a study of um, within class groupings, within classrooms, and it led on to a big study, which, by the way, Andy was involved in, collaborative group work, developing an approach to collaborative group work, and then evaluating it, and then applying it to different kind of contexts. The project then led to... Um, We've got an important finding. We think we know how to better use teaching assistants. And one of the challenges for researchers is trying to, as it were, get those results into the system so they make a difference. It's a big challenge. And I have to say, I have a lot of frustration about what I consider to be high quality research, which has had limited impact on, on sort of policy and practice. But this particular project did have an impact. And I'll come back to that, I think, a bit later on when we, um, we think about sort of impact. Uh, but it did lead to a study trying to work out good practice um, and then two further studies of children with special educational needs in mainstream schools. The only other thing to add is this, following on from my PhD, PhD work is an interest in peer relations in schools and how that um, sort of pans out, particularly on school playgrounds. As I've often said, the playground is a site of special and scientific interest, I think, because you see kids as they kind of are, and you learn a lot about friendships and social networks, and what they do um, is a really, it's a really kind of naturalistic. So that's kind of the um, sum total of the work that I've been doing at the IOE. It's um, a very, very strong history. Do you think um, there are particular characteristics that are a consistent thread through through that work? I mean, there's the obvious, as it were, methodological design features. So tend to be larger scale, tend to be naturalistic rather than sort of experimental. So in that sense, it's a particular kind of um, sort of way of approaching the research process. And um, I mean, I think the spring project, which was the collaborative group work project, was a kind of quasi-experimental study. But apart from that, most of it has been, let's sort of, as it were, capture what happens in the real world. Let's model it using the most sophisticated stats that we can so that we pick up on any confounding factors. And let's do the studies which enable us to account for the results. And I think it's sort of, as it were, it's had some success, really, uh, that sort of approach. Uh, and I think that the key defining factor, factor is the naturalistic study of everyday behavior, which I'm I was fascinated in when I did my PhD. And it's been a feature right through. I mean, in a set, yeah, it's a kind of almost a, a um, I mean, back in the day when I did my PhD, there was a strand of psychology called ethological psychology, which was the developing methods for understanding the behavior of kids. Um, and in a way, I'm, I'm sort of followed that, that through. So my most recent work has been um, a Leverhulme-funded major research fellowship, where I developed what I'm now calling an eco-relational approach to classroom learning. And it's, try, it's a very inductive process of looking at all the strands of the work that I've done 
in order to arrive at a framework for understanding, you know, classroom learning, but also helping to um, improve things. So an interest in the context within which children learn, which would include things like class size, but also the physical layout of the classroom and the tasks that kids get. The relational skills, which uh, I and colleagues argue has been much underplayed, particularly between children. So you can't put children in groups and hope it works. You have to actually think very carefully about the skills which you want children to use to work productively. Because how often kids get put into groups, doesn't work very well, self-fulfilling prophecy, teachers don't think it works, and even worse, the kids don't think it works, so it just gets lost. Um, so the, the one of the problems, I think, is that if you don't have this sort of framework in mind, then interventions which might work often encouraged to look at the results and meta-analyses to tell us which interventions to use. But the problem is if you don't have a, a sense of the context within which they work and the kind of skills that kids and teachers need to make it work, it's not going to work very well. So you need to be um, mindful of, of that. So in the, um, I'm writing a book at the moment on this eco-relational approach and it's applying it to particularly collaborative group work, but also class size. So, I mean, one of the problems with class size is, okay, we're happy enough, or we're lucky enough to reduce the number of kids in classrooms, but people it's, tend to teach the same way as they did before. It's not been adapted. And when it comes to a large class, there's all sorts of unforeseen consequences, particularly teachers burning themselves out, trying to sort of make do. And so um, it's applying this sort of eco-relation approach to make things easier, really. And then finally, for the education of children with special educational needs, I mean, what the, the naturalistic research that we did in classrooms showed that the way that those kids um, are sort of um, supported in classrooms is not always best designed to help them, uh, have particularly use of teaching systems. So we can reconfigure the way that we do that. So I think there are some um, sort of consistent themes. And um, I mean, I guess one of the key drivers has been to make sure that this research is connected to practice and policy and has in um, I, love, I love the way it embraces the complexity of, the, of what's going on I think that's that's so so important last question how has how has your work or psychology research in this area do you think made a contribution to, to policy or practice and we've talked about some of that but I mean it's a very interesting thing that it's not really about the academic worth of the research in terms of impact sometimes so I think the spring project, the, the study of collaborative group work, Andy, you may agree with me, was, I think, pretty sound, actually. In all, and it was a very rich um, project. Its impact on practice in schools is a little bit um, difficult to judge, but uh, it hasn't had the impact in some ways I think it deserves. The project I've done, which has had impact, and I'm so, um, I'm quite proud of it, actually, is the DISC project, the Deployment Impact Support Staff project. We tried very hard after we got these findings I mentioned earlier about the negative impact of teaching assistance and ways that we thought we could, as it were, do a better job. It felt like we were hitting our heads against the brick wall um, and the government of the day would not, as it were, fund extra research to um, try to sort of change the situation really. So a charitable trust, the Esme Fairburn Trust stepped in 
and they allowed us the, the kind of the resources to do that. And then um, we were able then to kind of move on and develop um, a systematic approach to professional development and school improvement, which I'm very pleased to say has has really um, had quite a major impact, I think. But I think you, you need all sorts of, I mean, other people can probably speak more knowledgeably about, about this than I can, but my experience is you need all sorts of levers to try to ratchet up the impact on people have. And one thing we had was a collaboration with the Educational Endowment Foundation. And we collaborated with um, Jonathan Sharples at the, the EEF to write um, guidance. And the resources of the EEF meant that all the schools received copies of it. Um, studies have shown that head teachers are very, very aware. I think 90% of head teachers are very aware of the guidance. It's had a, a big impact on sort of awareness, on changes in practice, and it's had a big impact um, overseas as well. It's, uh, certainly we can verify that in New Zealand and Australia. So it did have an impact. Um, there's a lot of serendipity about what, which research seems to kind of have a, you know, ha have that kind of impact. Let's kind of pursue it. And, um, and, and, and that's, that's good to see, I think. Great. Thank you, Peter. Um, so that's it from us for today. Uh, you've been listening to Psyched About Education. Uh, for further details and our other podcasts from the Department of Psychology and Human Development, please see the links at the end of this podcast. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to this IOE podcast.